Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the weekly Through the Noise podcast. My name is Manpreet, and I'm the Chief Investment Officer for Africa, Middle East, and Europe. Now, we're about halfway through January, and as the US stock traders almanac once proclaimed, as January goes, so goes the full year. Now, I dug a little bit deeper into this phrase, and I've discovered it's only partly correct. So, since World War II, indeed, when the S&P 500 rose in January, full-year returns were largely positive. However, when the S&P 500 fell in January, the outcome for the full year was more of a coin toss rather than a largely negative one. Now, we're about halfway through January, and this question is coming up of how January will go, and indeed, what does that mean for the rest of 2024 for major asset classes? So to discuss this and more, I'm joined today by Raymond Cheng, who's our Chief Investment Officer for North Asia. So welcome, Raymond, and thanks for taking the time to join us today. Now, a few weeks ago, we discussed our 2024 outlook, where we're constructive on equities and high-quality bonds based on a U.S. soft landing scenario. But over the past week, U.S. economic data seems to have been a little bit more mixed. Um, So could you help our listeners understand what exactly might be going on? Sure. Thanks, Manpreet. Hi, everyone. Um, The strong rally in equities and bonds since Q4 of last year uh, basically suggested investors have started pricing in an economic soft landing in the U.S. This assumes a sustained decline in inflation, enabling central banks to start cutting rates in the first half in order to support growth. But over the week, right, uh, we had uh, the U.S. employment and inflation prints that provided partial support to this narrative. Starting with the U.S. job report for December, net new jobs and wage growth beat expectations. But most of the jobs that were created were focused in niche and hospitality, mainly benefiting from the Christmas shopping season. Similarly, the employment sub-index of the ISM services PMI slumped to the July 2020 low of 43.3. Now, while the Fed would be keen to preempt a significant deterioration in the job market, it will also have to make sure it does not ease policy too soon and stoke a second round of inflation. Now, when we take a look at the, the inflation report, it was a mixed bag. While headline inflation accelerated to 0.3% month-on-month and 3.4% year-on-year, core inflation was unchanged at 0.3% month-on-month and slow marginally on a year-over-year basis to 3.9%. The acceleration in headline inflation was driven by shelter, used car, and energy prices, which could be concerning. But we expect shelter inflation to cool over the ensuing months. But energy prices uh, could be a swing card because it's vulnerable to geopolitical risks, especially with escalating tensions in the Red Sea. Such macro backdrop makes a strong earnings season all the more important to sustain this equity rally. The U.S. Q4 2023 earnings season will begin with major mega money centers reporting starting the 12th of January. But the consensus is forecasting a 5.2% rise in the S&P 500 earnings. The estimates have been cut low enough right, in, uh, going into this earnings season, 
um, and it should allow some room for the firms to beat expectations. And the guidance for 2024 will be key. Now, our preferred tech, communication services, and healthcare sectors are expected to deliver the strongest earnings growth this year. The near-term consolidation aside, we maintain a constructive view on equities and quality bonds. Both asset classes should benefit from the U.S. soft landing narrative. The um, U.S. stocks face near-term technical hurdles with the S&P 500 less than 1% away from all-time high. So we think the strong Q4 earnings season and positive earnings guidance uh, would provide the potential for the index to rise to a new record. Uh, we are also looking to re-enter U.S. government bonds as the 10-year yield faces near-term resistance at the 200-day moving average of 4.07%. Uh, thanks, Raymond. I think that's a great overview for U.S. markets. Um, just looking a bit further afield, though, Japanese equities have been one of the best-performing asset classes uh, this year. Uh, is that a rally you believe has legs and room to extend? Yes. Um, like the topest index has done well, right? Up over 5% year to date. Uh, Japan equities outperformed last year with over 25% return. And the RSI is above 70, implying overbought conditions. Like the index could be due for a technical pullback in the near term. However, we reiterate our overweight view and recommend adding on pullback given a few fundamental drivers to support this. The first, the latest developments in Japan increase market expectations that the Bank of Japan will unlikely end its loose monetary policy anytime soon. As a result of the recent earthquake, Japanese authorities will need to provide additional funding for repair and rebuild. The latest economic prints also suggest weaker than expected Tokyo CPI and wage growth, calling into question the sustainability of wage-led inflation. A weak yen is generally positive for corporate earnings. The second, Japan equities remain under-owned by both foreign and domestic investors. The global funds have been slowly coming back to Japan, but still below historical average. As for domestic investors, statistics show that only 11% of the Japanese wealth has been allocated to domestic equities, far below the 40% level by the Americans into U.S. equities. But starting this month, domestic investors will be incentivized by the REVAM, Nippon Individual Savings Account NISA program, effective this month, which will enable a doubling in tax-free investments into domestic equities. But the third factor is valuation. Japan is trading at below 15 times for earnings. But this is in line with the historical average. Japan is cheaper than the MSCI world at close to 18 times PE. But since Japan faces a lower geopolitical risk relative to other parts of Asia, a reasonable valuation will foster more fund inflow into the market. Okay, um, and, and maybe staying in Asia for now, another market that's done well uh, is India, uh, both on the equities and bond side. So uh, what's your view uh, on the outlook for Indian assets? Yeah, India has indeed garnered um, an increasing level of investor interest, mainly because of superior economic growth and asset class performance. Now, before I um, cover views on both India equities and bonds, uh, I'll start with some thoughts on the Indian economy. 
Now, the um, economic outlook uh, on India uh, overall is quite solid as consensus estimates uh, India to grow GDP by 6.6% this year, far better than any other major market in the world. The inflation is peaking, helped by food prices. So we will start to see some room um, for rate cuts this year. Uh, therefore, a key opportunistic call is actually to buy India local currency on shore government bonds like for five reasons here. First, India local currency bonds offer um, an attractive yield premium to emerging market um, local currency bonds. Then um, India government bond yields have peaked in the current cycle. Uh, I touched upon that earlier. Um, and uh, the government's readiness to address supply side issues will also allow the RBI to cut rates in the second half this year. And this should help push bond yields lower and bond prices higher. The third, we expect the currency uh, will also help like with the US dollar against the India rupee to decline modestly towards 82 over the next 12 months on broad US dollar weakness. And that should translate into currency gains for US dollar-denominated investors. And India's strong foreign exchange reserves and improving balance of payments uh, will also be supportive. Uh, the recent inclusion of the India repair bonds in uh, one of the global bond indexes is also an additional tailwind for India bonds. And last but not least, the recent performance of the incumbent party in state elections uh, would suggest there would be a high likelihood of policy continuity. As for India equities, we like the favorable earnings growth outlook, but it was somewhat offset by a quite high valuation there. Um, so we'll be selective in India equities, preferring large cap to small and mid cap equities. Sector-wise, we favor consumer discretionary, industrials, and healthcare. Okay, and maybe one final question before we end today. Um, Taiwan, of course, faces an election on February 13th. Uh, what do you see as the market implications uh, of that event? Current polls uh, suggest the incumbent uh, Democratic uh, Progressive Party, DPP, um, which has historically taken um, a more hawkish uh, field towards Beijing, is likely to win a third term. Uh, this argues current geopolitical tensions may not alleviate following the election. Uh, a win by the competing uh, parties, um, which would have a more engaging approach uh, with mainland China, uh, will likely provide a short-term boost to China equities, but um, this is not being ascribed uh, as a, a highly likely scenario at this juncture. These expectations are likely one reason why Hong Kong's Hansen Index is showing bearish momentum so far this year. Uh, it barely held the key technical support at 15,972. Uh, with its RSI um, near the oversold level, the index may exhibit sell the rumor and buy the Fed behavior after the Taiwan elections. However, uh, we do not see such bounce as uh, sustainable in the near term. And um, that's given the fact that geopolitical risk uh, will likely remain high this year, given um, so many elections to be held um, uh, uh, around the world uh, throughout the year, especially with the upcoming U.S. election. So um, investors should focus um, instead on China's growth outlook and uh, 
uh, we would um, think that uh, uh, more policy stimulus coming from the Chinese government will be key um, to raise the medium term outlook on China equities here. All right. So I think that's that's all we have time for today. Uh, so we'll bring it to an end there. Uh, thank you, Raymond, uh, for taking the time to join us today. But before we end, maybe I'll just sum up with my top three takeaways uh, from our conversation today. First, of course, is when it comes to China and Hong Kong equities, uh, you know, we do need to keep a watch on the upcoming Taiwan election uh, as a near-term uh, event risk. Um, second, of course, is Japanese equities, uh, which have done well, but we'd still consider adding on pullbacks. And third, in India, uh, particularly um, local currency bonds potentially offering an attractive opportunity. So with that, we'll we'll end the podcast uh, at this juncture. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to listen in, and we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details, visit Market Views on the Go on our website or click the link in the description.